This message was presented at the GYC 2010 No Turning Back Conference in Baltimore, Maryland. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org. If you have your Bibles, turn them with me to Romans chapter 4. I'm going to let you know that this morning, yet again, please have your Bibles, your pens, your notebooks, and we're going to turn the pages of Scripture this morning and studying this theme, Fully Persuaded. So Romans chapter 4, we begin in Romans chapter 4. And before we begin, just by, by way of a brief background, many of us will remember that God had given Abraham a very startling promise in promising him a son, in promising him descendants that would be as numerous as the sands of the seashore, innumerable, in fact, right? And you may recall that the first time the promise was made in Genesis 15, that Abraham doubts led him to hearken unto the voice of Sarah in taking Hagar, and the result was the birth of Ishmael and bitterness in the family, right? And the promise was repeated in Genesis chapter 18. And by the time the promise was repeated the second time around, this time around, Abraham and Sarah were at a point where they had exhausted human means in trying to help God fulfill his promise. And so by the time the promise comes again in Genesis chapter 18, they're at a point where they can do nothing but wait on God. And it's of this account that Romans chapter 4 writes. I'm reading from verse 13. Are we there? Amen. And the Bible says, For the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. And as we read, I'm going to ask you to pay attention to how many times the word promise is repeated. Okay, verse 14. For if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void, and the promise of none effect. Because the law worketh wrath, for where no law is, there is no transgression. Therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace, to the end the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations, before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead, and calleth those things which be not as though they were. Verse 18 who against hope believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations, according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. Verse 19, And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead, when he was yet an hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. Read with me again verse 19. 
The Bible tells us that being not weak in faith, Abraham considered not his own body now dead, being about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. Let me paint the picture for you as the Bible is painting it. Here is a man who was about a hundred years old, physically dead in the sense he could no longer have children. Then you had his wife, Sarah, who first of all was barren, and then second of all, she was past menopause. And so it was a double impossibility, right? Here you have these two bodies, these two people who are physically dead in the sense that no child can come out of their, their bodies. And the Bible says, Abraham, being not weak in faith, considered not his own body now dead, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. Now, medical science would have declared this impossible, Right? I mean, you're beyond childbearing age, you're old, it's impossible for you to have a son. But in Abraham's mind, this situation was not about medical science. It was about the God in whom he believed. And the Bible tells us in verse 21, being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able to perform. So Abraham was fully persuaded that what God had promised, God was able to perform. And I want to submit to you that the reason Abraham believed that God was able and was fully persuaded is given for us in verse 17. Two things we'll note about the faith of Abraham. First of all, he was fully persuaded that God was able. And second, he did not stagger at the promise of God. Look at verse 17 of Romans chapter 4. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him whom he believed, even God who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were. So verse 17 is telling us that Abraham believed in a God who quickeneth the dead, a God who calls things that don't exist as though they were. The word quickeneth, In the King James Version, that word in the Greek means to give life, to cause, to live. So in your minds, reason with me that Abraham believed in a God who could cause the dead to live. He believed in a God who could bring life from the dead, a creator who could call into existence that which was not previously there. So when he looks at himself, yes, my body is physically dead. Yes, Sarah's womb is beyond dead. But I believe in a God who can bring life from the dead. So he was fully persuaded that what God had promised, God was able to perform. Because God is creator. He quickeneth the dead. And therefore, being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead. He was fully persuaded that God is able. Are we fully persuaded? Is God any less able today? The second thing to note about the faith of Abraham is that verse 20 records, he staggered not at the promise of God. And as you can see clearly in these verses, the word promise occurs so many times. The promise of God He did not waver at the promise of God. Now, you know, human promises are like ropes of sand. Somebody can promise to marry you today and change his mind tomorrow, right? 
It's sad, but it happens. But friends, this was not just any promise, was it? This was the promise of God. And there's something special, something fundamentally important to remember about the promises of God. And in writing about this, the writer of the book of Hebrews has this to say. Turn with me to the book of Hebrews chapter 6 to read about how Hebrews paints the picture of Abraham's not wavering at the promise of God, right? Hebrews chapter 6, when you get there, please say amen. Here, if you want pages turning, Hebrews chapter 6. Say amen if you're there. Amen. I'm beginning for you in verse 13. And again, see the word promise repeated here, and then remember what Abraham was fully persuaded. Beginning in verse 13 of Hebrews chapter 6. For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swear by himself, saying, Surely, blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so, after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. Wherein God, willing more abundantly to shew unto the heirs of promise, the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath. That by two immutable things, in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. The writer of the book of Hebrews is telling us here that, you know, oftentimes when men make a promise, they swear by somebody greater. But when God made his promise to Abraham, God looked around and, you know what, there's no one greater than God. And so God swore by himself. He made the promise and he confirmed it by an oath. That in these two immutable things, when it was impossible for God to lie. So understand with me that part of what Abraham could be fully persuaded was because, friends, it's impossible for God to lie. He gave his promise and he swore by himself, confirmed it by an oath. And Abraham did not waver at the promise of God. He believed, fully persuaded. And that's verse 15 confirms that after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. And then in verse 12, the writer counsels us, you and me, that ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. See how verse 12 is telling you and me that the promises are there, they're there to be inherited. But they're inherited by those who exercise faith and patience. Faith and patience. And that's what we find recorded in the famous chapter on faith in Hebrews 11. The record in Hebrews 11, verse 11 and 12. Where the Bible confirms the faith of Abraham and Sarah tells us in chapter 11, verse 11. Are we there? Just a few chapters over. 
Hebrews 11, verse 11, through faith also, Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. And I think the logic of that verse suggests that if it wasn't for her faith, if she hadn't considered God faithful, if she had not believed without wavering the promise of God, she may not have received strength to conceive seed. But here's a woman, barren, beyond childbearing age, simply because she believed the promise of God, she received strength to conceive seed. And God worked the impossible in her life because she trusted the promise of God. The fundamental word this morning, friends, is promise. Promise of God. Now, as you think of Hebrews 11, and it's a famous chapter that we've read over and over again. It's the chapter, the great hall of fame, the great hall of faith, as we would call it. In verse 3 of Hebrews 11, it's something fundamental about faith that I want us to understand this morning. Because we're talking here about a faith that is fully persuaded. Hebrews 11, verse 3, the Bible tells us, that through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. So faith understands that the worlds were framed by the word of God. In other words, faith understands that God commanded and it stood fast. Faith understands that when God said, let there be light, as he pronounced those words, light was created. Faith understands the creative ability of the word of God. Faith understands that when God speaks, he transforms reality. In other words, friends, in the mind of somebody who has faith, somebody who is fully persuaded, when God speaks, it's as good as done. God speaks, therefore it is. Do you understand, friends, that the word of God, just by merely speaking the word, God creates. God creates. He just speaks and it's done. Let there be a firmament, it's done. So I hope now you're beginning to see a deeper picture of why I believe Abraham was fully persuaded. Because, friends, reality for a Christian, reality for me and for you, is not defined by what we feel or what we go through. It's defined by, thus saith the Lord. God speaks, therefore it is. Whether we feel, whether we feel it or not, God speaks, therefore it is. In writing about this, in the book Education, page 253, Alan White has this very profound statement to say. Whatever gift God promises is in the promise itself. Are you listening to that? Whatever gift God promises is in the promise itself. As surely as the oak is in the acorn, so surely is the gift of God in his promise. If we receive the promise, we have the gift. The gift of God is in his promise. And if we receive the promise, we have the gift. 
So now you consider back God's promise to Abraham. Sarah, thy wife, shall have a son. God spoke the promise, did he not? And in, in, a, in, in a sense, friends, in a, in a very real sense, when God spoke those words, Sarah, thy wife, shall have a son, in speaking the words, God, in a sense, gave Isaac to Abraham. Because God pronounced the promise. And when God spoke it, it was as good as done. So why would you waver at the promise of God? God said it, therefore it is. The kind of faith that it believes in the word of God, the kind of faith that is fully persuaded is critical for us. Critical for us if we are to have a no turning back experience. Because the, the, this kind of faith that we're talking about this morning is the only kind of faith that will endure trial without turning back. The only kind of faith that will endure without turning back. And as you consider the rest of Hebrews chapter 11, you read in verse 36 about men and women of faith, in verse 36, who had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonments. And verse 37, they were stoned, they were sown asunder, they were tempted, they were slain with the sword, they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented. They are trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, bonds and imprisonments. They were stoned. They were sown asunder. You know what that means, sown asunder? Slain with the sword. And yet, verse 39 records that they still obtained a good report through faith. That in spite of their trials, in spite of what they suffered, in spite of the cruelty, the mockings, the bonds, the imprisonment, they still had faith. And their faith did not waver. Their faith did not waver. Being fully persuaded being fully persuaded. And I want to submit to you this morning that the reason many of us are tempted to turn back when those trials come upon us is because we're not fully persuaded that God's promises are as sure as sure can be. We're not fully persuaded. You see, verse 13 of Hebrews 11 tells us that these all died in faith, right? Not having received the things promised, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. And the ESV translates this verse this way. It says, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them afar off. They didn't need to receive it to know it was coming. They took the promise of God and that was enough for them. God had promised And the Bible goes so far as to say in verse 35, listen to verse 35. 
And you, as you think about this faith that radically trusts the promise of God no matter what. Verse 35 tells us that women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. What kind of person refuses deliverance from torture? What kind of person does that? They refuse deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. They hadn't seen the resurrection physically. The only way that they knew that there was a better resurrection was, guess what, the promise of God. That's all they had. God had promised a better resurrection. And though they didn't feel it or see it, God had promised. And God's promise was enough. Are we fully persuaded that what God has promised, God is able to perform? Are we persuaded? Many of us, trials come, we're tempted to shrink back. Trials come, we we doubt the goodness and the mercy of God. We doubt the love of God. And then as I think about it, friends, um, I, I I have to ask, what are our trials? What are the things that we consider trials? You get rejected by a boyfriend or girlfriend, that's trial. Maybe you've got pimples or acne. Maybe you've got no cute clothes to wear to GYC, that's trial. Are those our trials? You know, I, I, I keep my African hair natural in all of its glory. One morning I woke up and my hair was a mess. And I remember I, I stood in the mirror and I said to myself, oh, what am I going to do with my hair? Life is so hard. <laughs> and you laugh because it's ridiculous. For me, that was trial, persecution. My hair is a mess. God have mercy upon us. Friends, we need to get over ourselves because our trials are not as deep as we think they are. They're not even that deep. You know, in the book, Cross-Examination, which I encourage you to read because it goes over reasons why we can believe, right? Right? as far as establishing the evidence for our faith and our belief. And I also wanted to read it because I spent countless days and nights editing it, so you must read it. (laughs) But in this book, the author, Dr. Pandit, quotes for us some of the things that the disciples suffered. And he quotes for us how they were slaughtered, how they faced arrest, imprisonment, beatings, and horrible deaths. And not one of them, not a single one of them turned back. Listen to this. Peter was crucified upside down. You know what that feels like? Crucified upside down. James was stoned to death. Matthew was killed by the sword. James, son of Alphaeus, was crucified. Thaddeus was shot through with arrows to his death. Simon the Zealot was crucified. Thomas killed with the spear. Paul beheaded. And we think we have trials? We think we have trials, GYC? Now let me be understood. Some of our trials may be deeper. 
We may lose a loved one. We may face major health challenges. But my point here this morning is, no matter how big or small it is, the trial is irrelevant if we are fully persuaded. If we are fully persuaded of the promises of God, let the trials come, we will not turn back. Small or as big as they are, we shall not turn back because God has promised. God has promised. Abraham was fully persuaded that what God had promised, God was able to perform. And I want to submit to you that that's the kind of faith you and I need to cultivate. I want to share with you an account that the first time I read it brought tears to my eyes. This from the book, Tortured for Christ. Then again, I encourage you to, I'm a bookworm, so forgive me. I recommend a lot of books. I love books. Um, But this particular book is a must read to gain some perspective on our petty trials. Because this book describes some trials that will pierce your soul. That Christians in communist countries have suffered for their faith. The author, Richard Warmbrand, writes about how his son, Mihai, 11 years old, seeing his parents arrested and tortured for their faith in Christ. And I cannot recount for you the kind of horrors that they suffered. You know, sometimes they would have starving rats driven into their cells at night. I don't know if you can imagine that. When I was on mission in Zambia this summer, in July, with the Impact Zambia missionaries, we went to this island called Chilibi Island. And I was there for a couple of days doing ministry, going door to door, doing Bible studies with people, just being a missionary, and sleeping on the floor, the cold, hard, concrete floor, in a room with rats and mosquitoes. And I remember my first night going to sleep in my sleeping bag, hearing the rats moving in the room, and I thought to myself, only for Jesus, <laughs> only for Jesus would I do this, right? Just a couple of rats. These Christians had starving rats driven into their cells at night. And others were made to stand for two weeks, day and night. Others were put into refrigerators and repeatedly frozen and taken out again. Women were raped. Cruel horrors. And as Mihai, young Mihai, sees his parents suffer, he, he ponders in his mind, how can a good and loving God permit my parents to suffer these things without reason? And he abandons the faith because he thought, I cannot believe in a God who would permit this to happen to my parents who've done nothing wrong. And then you know what happened? He went to see his mother in prison and he was allowed to see her. And when he saw his mother behind bars, right, Behind bars. She's weak. She's thin. She's bruised. She's battered. And she looks at her son. And the first thing she says to him is, Mihai, believe in Jesus. Here's a woman 
who had suffered in incredible torture. And the first thing she has to say to her son, please believe in Jesus. Her suffering, her trials did not make her forget or turn back from her faith in Jesus. And then Mihai looks at his mother and he says to himself, if my mother, if my mother can still believe in Christ even now, Christ must be a real savior. And he was converted right there and then. His mother's faith, his mother's unshaken faith won him back to Christ. Here's a woman who was fully persuaded that no matter what I suffer right now, God has promised. And God's promises are sure. God promised he would never leave me nor forsake me. God promised that it was a blessed thing to suffer for Christ's sake. God promised these things. And because God promised, she did not waver. Are we fully persuaded? Are we fully persuaded? I want to remind us this morning, friends, that the Bible has told us that in this world we shall have tribulation. It does say that, doesn't it? Matter of fact, Dr. Walsh read for us from 2 Timothy chapter 3 last night that all who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. It did not say that they may suffer persecution. (laughs) It said they shall. It will come guaranteed. But when it comes, it calls for minds that are fully persuaded. Young people who would say, no matter what I go through, God is good. And God has promised because the trials will come. Let me ask you something, friends. I, you know, I, the burden on my heart is just heavy to help us understand who God is. Does God lie? So if it's impossible for God to lie, why is it hard to believe, to be fully persuaded? Maybe some of us have believed in a liar. I know I haven't. I know him in whom I have believed, and I'm persuaded that he is able, friends. I'm fully convinced that God is able, and that God does not lie. In fact, God cannot lie, even if he wanted to. And you know why he cannot lie? Because his word creates reality. So even if God wanted to lie, quote-unquote, suppose God were to lie, suppose he were to lie and say, Tando is Asian. The minute he says that, I become Asian. (laughs) And it's funny, but it's true. That's why God cannot lie. So if God cannot lie and his word transforms our reality, unbelief is senseless. How do you not believe the spoken word of God, which creates your reality? God speaks, therefore it is. Unbelief makes no sense. And that's why Jesus marvels. The angels marvel at our lack of faith. They marvel. How can we not believe?
In Conflict and Courage, page 369, the servants of the Lord writes that the season of distress and anguish before us will require a faith that can endure weariness, delay, and hunger. A faith that will not faint though severely tried. The times ahead of us require such a faith that will not faint though severely tried. And friends, I submit to you this morning that if we are not willing to endure hardness as a good soldier of Christ Jesus, we might as well turn back right now. The kind of faith that stands only in good times is no faith at all. That's not faith. The stony ground faith is good for nothing. And I think it's about time we showed some backbone. It's about time we showed the world what it means to believe in God even when trials make no sense. Backbone, friends. Where's our backbone? The slightest hint of trouble we're running away from God. Almost like Israel in the wilderness when they left Egypt. Every time some challenge came, oh, woe is us. Let's go back to Egypt. As if Egypt were better than Canaan. Have mercy. And you know how Hebrews 11 transitions to Hebrews chapter 12? After giving us these examples of faith, it then goes on to say in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1, the Bible says, Wherefore, seeing that we also are campused about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. You have not resisted unto blood, striving against sin. And if your faith is tempted to falter, Hebrews tells you to look to Jesus, who is not just the author, but the finisher of your faith, and who is an example of the kind of faith that we must cultivate as well. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Will we, for the joy set before us, endure the hardness of trial? By the grace of God and after Christ's own example. Abraham did not stagger at the promise of God. Turn back to Romans chapter 4. Because I want to read this again in your hearing. Turn back to Romans chapter 4. And I want to read again in your hearing, verses 20 and 21. 
Abraham staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. And being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. Friends, you can doubt any promise you want to doubt. But please, please, let's have the common sense enough not to doubt the promises of God. Let's not charge God with crimes he has not committed. Think of your favorite Bible promise. One of mine is Matthew 6.33. You know what that one says? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. But you know what many of us do? We waste our lives seeking things that God wants to add unto us. Are we fully persuaded, friends? God says, just seek one thing, and I will add everything else unto you. Be fully persuaded. I think of the promise in John chapter 14, 1 through 4, where he promised that in his father's house are many mansions, that he wants to prepare a place for us, that he would come again and receive us unto himself. And we look around, it's been hundreds of years, we're singing the same song. Is he really coming? We doubt. Are we fully persuaded? I think of 1 John 1 verse 9. That beloved promise that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Yet when we come to God, we pray for forgiveness. Then we rise from prayer still burdened by guilt as if we had no pardon. Are we fully persuaded? I think of how in announcing Christ's birth to Mary in Matthew 1 verse 21, the angel said, you will call his name Jesus. But he will save his people from their sins. That promise that Jesus will save. Are we fully persuaded of that? Many of us go through life struggling with the same sins over and over again. Suffering defeat after defeat. As if we had no savior. And I'm afraid that in some ways, maybe we've come to think of Jesus as somebody who just nurses chronic sinners. Jesus saves, friends. He doesn't just nurse us in our sins and our wounds. He saves us from them. Are we fully persuaded of that? Jesus saves. Are we fully persuaded? The writer of Amazing Grace, that beloved hymn, is a man by the name of John Newton. Some of you may know that John Newton was a slave ship owner before his conversion. That he took an active part in that horrible trade of men. When he was converted, he wrote the song Amazing Grace. I once was blind, but now I see. 
and in his old age, he's quoted as saying this, my memory is nearly gone, but I remember two things very clearly, that I am a great sinner and that Christ is a great savior. Are you fully persuaded? We could go on and on listing these precious promises. The question is, are we fully persuaded? You know, in 2 Peter chapter 1, writing about these, these precious promises, Peter says this. In 2 Peter chapter 1, let's go there, verse 4. I'm going to read verse 3 and verse 4. Verse 3 and verse 4. Are we there? Second Peter 1 verse 3 and verse 4. The Bible says, According as his divine power has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Do you see the little word by in verse 4? It is by these exceeding great and precious promises that we are to partake of the divine nature. In the promises of God, it contained everything we need. Why then would we not believe in the promises of God? It's by them that we have to be partakers of the divine nature. Friends, the promises of God are as sure as sure can be. They are to be trusted no matter what. They are to be believed no matter what. Let's not do God the disservice of accusing him as a liar. That's what the world thinks of God. They think he's a liar, an imposter. They think he's unjust, he's evil, he's not good enough. Is there somebody here today willing to believe in the goodness of God no matter what they suffer? Willing to believe the promise of God is sure no matter what they go through? That when there's a dissonance between what I feel and what I know in my mind, I will not trust what I feel, but I'll trust what God has said. Because reality is not what I feel or go through. It's what has God said. That's reality. Is there somebody out there fully persuaded that yes, there is pain, yes, there is suffering, but God has promised a better day. God has promised to never leave us nor forsake us. God has promised that nothing, not even death, can separate us from the love of God. God has promised. And now we're fully persuaded that what God has promised, God is able to perform. Are we fully persuaded? I'm afraid for us. And I'm afraid because... Hebrews chapter 4 talks about a danger we need to guard against. In our last scripture, Hebrews chapter 4, and I want to read this verse in your hearing as a sobering thought. 
as a sobering thought. I'm going to read verses 1 and verse 2. Are we there? The Bible says, Hebrews chapter 4, 1 and 2, Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For the gospel for unto us was the gospel of preached as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith, in them that heard it. Did you read verse 2 with me? Talking about the wilderness experience of Israel. That the word they heard, they heard the word all right, but it did them no profit, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. And it says, let us therefore fear. Let a promise being left us, and we do have a promise being left us, of entering his rest. Let us fear, lest by unbelief we fall short of that promise. Unbelief is the most senseless thing in the world. At least unbelief in God. Unbelief in the promise of God is nonsensical. Because when God speaks, it's done. And let us fear, lest a promise being left us of entering his rest, we come short of it through unbelief. Let us therefore fear. In closing, I want to remind us of where we began in Romans chapter 4, where the Bible tells us that Abraham was fully persuaded that what God had promised, God was able to perform. You know how the NLT translates that verse? It says, Abraham was absolutely convinced. He was absolutely convinced that God was able to do anything he promised. And I think the final reason why we cannot turn back is if we are fully persuaded of what God has promised, then victory is guaranteed. How many things do you do in life where success is guaranteed? What if you walked into your organic chemistry class and you were guaranteed an A plus? How would that feel? The Christian journey if we believe the word of God, if we believe the promises of God, victory is guaranteed in Jesus. So friends, if you are going to battle and you knew that your enemy was defeated, would you retreat? How can you retreat from battle with a defeated enemy? It makes no sense. Friends, Satan is a defeated foe. Calvary sealed the deal on this battle. He's defeated. And let him, let him bring the trials. Let him bring the temptations. He's defeated. We are fighting a defeated for if we believe in Jesus. If we believe the promises of God. Revelation 21 verse 4 is still true today. 
There's coming a day when God will wipe away all tears from our eyes. When there shall be no more death, no more sorrow or crying. God has promised that. And if we believe the promise of God, we cannot go back. Victory is guaranteed. Victory is assured. We cannot go back. Let the trials come. Let the challenges come. We cannot, we must not go back. For we are fully persuaded that what God has promised, God is able to perform. The December issue of the Voice of Martyrs newsletter tells the story of a woman by the name of Gloria and her husband, Manuel, who had moved to a remote village in Colombia that was controlled by drug-trafficking guerrillas. They went there as missionaries to an area, to villages, where all churches had been closed. Their work was hard, but they gave it all their efforts. You know, one morning after family prayer, they heard somebody outside calling Manuel's name. And when Manuel stepped outside, there was a group of guerrillas that shot him through five times. And one of them shouted, shoot him again, make sure he is dead. And Gloria walked out of her house to see her husband lying in a pool of blood. She picked up his body, tears streaming down her face, and set it by a nearby tree. And then she went into her house and she grabbed her Bible. She's crying. Her husband is dead. Neighbors are gathering around. What's going on, Gloria? She takes her Bible and she kneels by her husband's dead body. And she reads from the Gospel of John. And she says, this is what my husband believed. And then she said, Satan did not win the battle today. God did. She got up and she kept on preaching the gospel. After losing her husband in such a painful, nonsensical way, Gloria kept on going. God won the battle. Now there's a woman who's fully persuaded. The songwriter says, I'm standing on the promises of God. Standing on the promises that cannot fail. Though the howling winds of doubt and fear assail, I am standing on the promises of God. And by the living word of God, I shall prevail. Standing on the promises of God. Who is standing with me, friends? Who is standing with me on the promises of God? The promises that cannot fail. Standing on the promises of God. And you know, my experience being here preaching at GYC has been a test of my fully persuadedness. You know, when they first asked me to preach, I, I remember I almost fainted. <laughs> thought to myself, Lord, I'm only 24 years old, just graduated, I'm a chemist, I don't have any theology training. 
barely a year of experience in preaching. What am I going to say to GYC? And God's answer to me was, Tando, are you fully persuaded that in your weakness, my strength is made perfect? Are you fully persuaded? And the fact that this shy 24-year-old is preaching to you today, (laughs) that's a miracle of the grace of God. Are we fully persuaded, friends, that what God has promised, even when we don't see it or feel it, it's still true because God has promised. And it's one promise you can be sure will never, ever fail. God has never failed anybody. Don't accuse him of failing you. God never lied. It's impossible for God to lie. We will overcome. We'll go all the way. We'll have the backbone to stand up and face the trials because God has promised. Show some backbone, friends. People in the world suffer for foolish causes. Who will suffer for Christ's sake? And suffer and count it all joy because God has promised. Yes, it hurts, but count it all joy because God's promises are as sure as sure can be. God has promised. And in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, Paul, fully persuaded, writes that even though he suffers these bonds, nevertheless he is not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep what I've committed unto him against that day. May God help us to be fully persuaded that he is able, that he is able. And if we believe this, there's no turning back. No matter how rough it gets, no matter how many tears we weep and cry and mourn, we cannot turn back. We're standing on the promises that cannot fail. We're standing. If we're prepared to stand, let's say a loud, a loud amen. To let God know that we believe him. Abraham believed God, the record says, in Romans chapter 4. He believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness because he believed God. Please believe God this morning. Believe God. I want to invite you to kneel with me. And as we kneel together to pray, there are some of us here this morning who have been facing different trials and challenges that have tempted us to go back. We've been tempted to turn back to Egypt because the trials were just too painful. If that's you, I want to invite you to raise your hand as we pray, to let God know that though I, I thought I was tempted to go back. Father, I believe, help my unbelief. 
Just raise your hands high. We want to pray and ask God to forgive our unbelief and help increase our faith. Let's pray. Father, we're kneeling to say we believe. Help thou our unbelief. Father, teach us to truly understand what it means to be fully persuaded, to believe in your goodness and your mercy and your love no matter what we go through. Let thy word and thy word alone define our reality. Help us, Lord, to never doubt. Increase our faith and, and give us the faith of Christ. Faithfully persuaded. Faith that will not turn back though the trials come. Father, forgive again our unbelief. Keep us faithful. For this we pray. For this we ask. Believing in Jesus' name. Amen. This message was produced by GYC a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. GYC seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians in contemporary contexts. To download or purchase other resources like this, or if you have been blessed by GYC and would like to donate, visit gycweb.org or email info at gycweb.org. You could also reach us via mail at P.O. Box 3786 Ann Arbor, Michigan 48106. This recording is licensed under Creative Commons. This means you can copy and share it with anyone you'd like. Please attribute this recording to GYC wherever you reuse it. And keep in mind that resale and alteration are strictly prohibited.